Amen. You can be seated. I suppose I could have asked you to stand for the whole time, but I wanted to be one up on Tony. So, well, yesterday we had the chance as a church to begin our celebration of Holy Week. And we considered yesterday, Pastor Mark did, the, uh, the strange yet humble parade of a Savior. We saw how Jesus, who is king of the world, willingly returning to his city, where a city that he created, where he is the rightful Lord, the Lord of joy, and he returns there to die. And so all week long we are, we are considering this marvel where how God would willingly present himself to the religious leaders, to the mobs of people that he has chosen and that he has created where he gives himself up for the sake of our redemption. I pray that as you celebrate Holy this week, Holy Week this week, together with our church body, that your hearts would be drawn to the marvelous, wonderful mystery of the cross. Well, today we are considering what took place on that Monday, the next day following Jesus' reentry into Jerusalem. And it's where Jesus entered and cleansed the temple. Uh, I'll, let me read for you our, our passage this morning, this afternoon, is Matthew chapter 21. It's one you're probably familiar with. You can listen, or if you have your Bible, you can turn to it, but I'll read it so you can listen while you enjoy your lunch. And it begins, Matthew 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. I'd like to offer three devotional observations for you concerning this passage. The first thing that we can notice as we, as we read through this passage is, is to remember that Jesus is passionately committed to seeing God worshipped. He has a holy vigor, a, an eagerness, a zeal to see God worshipped. In order to understand the significance of, of these events, we got to understand a little bit about the background of the temple, which you're probably familiar with. For Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, the temple was the center of their religious life. And it was an absolutely magnificent structure, much like our gymnasium downstairs. 
When I was in ninth grade, I had the opportunity to go to St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And ninth grade Nathan was not very interested in culture or art or architecture or religious history or really anything that was outside a few very narrow categories, right? And I, I got the chance as a ninth grader to visit the, was one of the largest and most magnificent cathedrals or churches in all the world. Its most prominent feature is, is the dome, which rises 365 feet up in the air in one of the tallest places there in London. And I, I was too young to care or appreciate what I was enjoying, but even for me, when I walked in, I was awestruck. If you've had a chance to visit a European cathedral, uh, you probably have experienced the same thing. You walk in and the sights are just breathtaking. All the glory is, it's man-made, but the intention is to draw attention to God. Well, the temple there in Jerusalem was designed in the same way. It was extraordinary. It took 10,000 carpenters and masons to build it, laboring for 40 or so years. It was one of the world's most magnificent structures. Uh, it, it had outer, just the outer walls contained hundreds of pillars of pure white marble. Those walls were covered with roofs adorned with cedar that had been painstakingly engraved or carved and painted. There were columns. Some of the columns were 30 feet high, with some of them rising to about 100 feet high. So you can imagine when foreigners or us country bumpkins would, would go in and see such a magnificent sight, it was breathtaking. Like all beautiful things, they're designed to aid in worshiping God. They can be very easily hijacked and used for other purposes. And this was the case in the temple in Jerusalem. It was especially true there for the Gentiles, for, for in their place of worship, which was the court of the Gentiles, that had been overtaken by money changers. There were a number of reasons for this. One was that Roman currency had stamps of an idol on it, and so they didn't want to use money with idols on it. So there was a temple currency, so they would exchange the, the money. They would also sell animals for sacrifice, right, for those who are traveling. It's, it's inconvenient, apparently, to travel with animals or children. But the whole place had been transformed from a place of worship into something entirely different. Now, it's easy for us to, to look back and to think, oh, these terrible people, how could they have done such a thing, selling things in, in the house of the Lord? But could we not also be tempted in similar ways? Are we not also tempted to take our religious and church activities Things that may seem relevant to God's mission, and, but when it comes down to it, we're, we're doing something entirely different. and miss the point all together. Right? They were distracted by what probably were good things. Avoiding idolatry, providing sacrifices for travelers. But we should remember that just because an activity has some sort of random religious connections, it doesn't mean that it's profitable. Or that God is being worshipped. 
we can remember that with the role of the temple, the, the, the whole point was that this was where people were to go and to meet with God. The temple was where the glory of God in its fullest concentration was to dwell among man. This was certainly true in the days of Solomon where the Bible says that when the temple was complete, the temple was filled with the glory of the Lord. Which meant that there have been times where the temple is not filled with the glory of the Lord. Because of sin, the glory of the Lord eventually departed. And so now we can understand this incredible significance there in verse 12 of when the text says, Jesus entered in to the temple. Remember, Jesus is who? He is God. And so we see God entering the temple, returning to dwell among his people. Remember, the temple was right in the middle of the people. You'll notice that when God's presence came, so too came disruption. Is that not the case in our lives? Does God disrupt your lives, wanting more of your heart and your attention? Because here we see Jesus, who is exceedingly passionate that people see and respond to the glory of the Father. And in his passion, he cleanses the temple. He quotes from Isaiah 56, where he says, It is written, my house shall be called, what? A house of prayer. The temple is a place of prayer. Remember, the temple is a place for man to commune with God. And how do we do that? In prayer. To commune and to enjoy God. And this was not taking place, and so Jesus had to make it Right. And this is, of course, why Jesus was there. This is why he came. The whole mission of Jesus is to restore fellowship between God and man. But of course, Jesus, like most of the things in his life, he did it in ways that no one would have expected. His words and his actions demonstrated that he had authority over the temple. He, he walked in telling people what to do and doing much of it himself. And he has the right to do this. Why? Because he's God. Turning over money tables, kitching, kicking out the pigeon merchants. He could do this because he was God. Other gospel accounts reveal more clearly that his actions were really, in part, a condemnation of the temple, saying, there's no glory of God here. The temple would soon be destroyed. But you remember Jesus' words were full and pregnant with meaning, because when he predicted the destruction of the temple, what did he promise with it? It's okay. It'll be destroyed, but I'll raise a new one. In three days, I'll raise a new temple. Wink, wink, right? Jesus came and he was concerned cleansing the old temple, but he was providing a new, a better way to meet with God. He's passionate about God's glory. We also see in this text that Jesus cleanses us. Jesus cleanses us. In verse 14, we read the very next thing that Jesus did was to heal the blind and the lame. Now, we see Jesus doing this all over the Gospels, but here he's doing it in the temple. This is a big deal. 
The chronically ill and the handicapped were allowed to come to the temple, but they were left outside of the temple. They're at the temple gates to beg. And those who were permitted in were very restricted on where they could go. They couldn't go into the temple. They were restricted outside to the court of the Gentiles. The fear was that they would contaminate the temple. And so here we see Jesus healing in the temple because he had authority over the temple. It's his temple. In doing so, Jesus was declaring that he is God and that his authority comes from God. But I think there's something else we could learn here. In Leviticus, we, in Leviticus chapter 21, we read about how there were some restrictions of those who could, who could go into the temple and offer bread before the Lord. You couldn't go in if you were lame or had a broken bone or if you were blind or if you were sick. Well, the religious leaders had taken this principle and taken it a couple steps further, creating whole new restrictions for those who were lame or maimed. But here Jesus comes onto the scene and by healing the blind and the lame, he was boldly declaring something that's crucial for us to hear today. It's something that he had already said earlier in the Gospels. Someone greater, something and someone greater than the temple is here. This is what's so amazing about Jesus. Everything in the old temple was set up to show that God is unapproachable by sinners. That to, for a sinner to be near God, you have to go to extreme lengths to purify your, yourself or you'll contaminate the temple and, and you can't be there. But you see, in Christ, all of that changed. Jesus isn't scared to be contaminated by our sin. He came in order to be contaminated by our sin. He came to heal us. If you're reading in the community Bible reading plan, tomorrow we will read in Isaiah chapter 53 that he came to bear our griefs. He came to carry our sorrows, to be stricken, to be smitten, to be afflicted, to be pierced. Prophet says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It was upon him the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And then with his wounds, we are what, church? We are healed. Oh, how fitting is it that Jesus was healing as he was cleansing the temple? Jesus is greater than the temple, and he came to cleanse us. He's not afraid to get dirty. What a comfort to us, sinners who still struggle with sin. What a comfort for, uh, what a comforting invitation for those who are sinners far off from God. That sinners who once rightly cowered in our caves. The text talks about dens of thievery, right? With rich images. Sinners who naturally hid from the glory of the Lord outside of the temple. We can come limping into the light expecting to be healed. Because drawing near to Jesus doesn't make him dirty. It makes us clean. So draw near to him this Easter. A final point is to notice that God intends for the whole earth to be full of his praise. The whole earth to be full of his praise. If you think about the scope of the Bible, when, when man sinned, 
We see when man sins, God's glory leaves. When man sinned in the garden, God's glory pulled out, pulled back from the earth in part. Especially the full knowledge of it. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, we see that God's glory left the Ark of the Covenant. Later on, we'll see God's glory leaving the temple. This is clearly evidenced in this text here. Verse 15, we read about the temple leaders, chief priests, the scribes. They were indignant at Jesus receiving praise. That's the sign of an unhealthy religious institution, is it not? And so the children were called upon. The children who had seen the miracles were repeating the phrase that they had heard the day before. Hosanna to the son of David. By calling him the son of David, they were acknowledging him to be the Messiah. The one sent from God to redeem. And the chief priests and the scribes, they hated this. They hated this. They were indignant. And Jesus responded to them. Imagine, I'm trying to imagine what, it's hard to picture our Lord like this, isn't it? But he responded to them saying, Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you've prepared praise? I thought I'd bring a show and tell illustration to remind you of how God has ordained the youngest to sing his praise. Jesus is quoting from Psalm chapter 8 verse 2. Listen, listen, well, as you read this, you'll, you'll see that the psalmist is eager to see that God's glory is acknowledged from the highest point to the lowest point. That, that every part of the universe would know and delight in the fact that God reigns from the heavens to the nursery. Listen as I read from Psalm 8. Notice the difference in the distance, right? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory up above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. God's glory, whether you believe it or know it or acknowledge it or understand it, God's glory fills the farthest corner of the farthest sky of every galaxy that Stephen Hawking even dared to blaspheme against. And it fills the cradle. If a black hole is a thing, God's glory is there. And God's glory is with the children. God has ordained his glory to be acknowledged by the weakest, the lowest, the most helpless creatures of all the earth. The nursing infant. All throughout the gospels we see children attracted to Jesus. And he welcomes them. And here we see Jesus telling him, telling the, telling the religious leaders that God has sovereignly ordained that his praises would be even on the lips of of children. I can't imagine how much this must have stung the religious leaders. But let's not miss this important lesson for us. It is not the well or the wealthy or the religiously active people that are able to perceive the glory of God. It is the low, the weak, the sick, the lame. Jesus, I think Jesus is saying it is the meek and the humble 
who are in the best position to understand who Jesus is. If your eyes see 2020 and you got eyes that can see the heavens which declare the glory of God, that will not do you good if you are blinded by pride. So the question for us today is do we see? Have you seen the glory of God in Jesus? Have you drawn near to him to be made well by faith? It doesn't matter how much you come to church this week or any other week. It doesn't matter how active you are or how much you know. If you haven't seen the glory of God in Jesus, you're blind and you're sick in your sins. The cleansing of the temple fits perfectly with the ultimate mission of Jesus. Because he came to restore the knowledge of the glory of the world. And we know and we hope in the promise that one day that will be complete. I close reminding you of Habakkuk chapter 2. Where the prophet says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. In the same way that water fills up the sea. May we give him glory with our lives today. I'll close this in prayer, but please feel free to stay as long as you want and eat and talk. But let me close this in prayer and let's acknowledge this God of glory. Father, we marvel that you would stoop to our level to become like us and then to suffer for us. Even while we despise you. We as your people now delight in you, but help us, O God, not to despise you with our sin. We look to Jesus. We celebrate him. Help us to point others to him. We thank you for the cross. May it be our hope, even as we go. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.